0: Opening day, opening day, opening day, opening day. <sighs> opening day, Jeremy, opening day. Hey, what was your best opening day memory as a player or a coach or I guess a fan, right? What would which would be your best opening day memory?
1: Oh, man, the um the first one in 1998. I was actually in St. Paul. I wasn't allowed to sign as a free agent with a major league club, and I had to go the independent route first. And who knew I'd spend most of my time on that side as a player. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa.
0: Why weren't you allowed to sign with a affiliated club?
1: It's a there's a loophole um, that I actually fit into. And at the time, there's 1997, turning 98. We had the loophole free agents. We had the Big Four. You had Travis Lee, you had John Patterson, Bobby C, uh, and Matt White, who were all not tender contracts and found other loopholes there. Mine was an academic loophole, okay? It was eligibility requirements. It was, uh, you know, years left in school. It was stat, it was football. There's a lot of things that went into it, but I really should have been able to declare a free agent. And- um, I've ended- never heard
0: of that, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, JD Drew is my teammate in St. Yep. Paul, challenging the system at that time as well. Same agent as some of the other four. Uh, anyway, we ended up in St. Paul. We had fighter jets. We had one of the best, you know, the best anthems I've ever heard we had uh you know sold out uh stands and crowd we had energy on both sides it was a you know that was when the northern league was like the league to play in you know that was a loaded talented league um and i'm 21 years old youngest player in the league by about 8 months you know it was it was a uh, unbelievable experience it's the one i remember the most you know the other opening days were great but that one was like chills when the guy was singing all you want to do is play baseball after that
0: It's funny you mentioned the word chills on opening day because those are my most memorable opening days are the ones that gave me chills. And what I mean is when it was snowing in Buffalo and in Syracuse on opening day, (laughs) it's crazy to me that the International League would open games and even in Harrisburg, it was freezing in the Eastern League that they would open open the season in Buffalo, Syracuse, Harrisburg. But the reason I was told was that the teams in Norfolk and Richmond and all these other places put up such a stink that it was too cold where they were, right. that they weren't going to do it. But you know, those fans <laughs> in Buffalo and Syracuse, they're used to that weather. So we'll let them start up there. So those are the opening days. I remember the ones where I had a winter parka on and it was either snow <laughs> bleeding or some sort of
1: freezing rain. Yeah. There's plenty of times that I played in cold weather in, in May um, in april and your hands feel like you don't want to move and anything on the inside part of the plate you have to cheat to get to um but no it's yeah cold weather in, in baseball in april is uh is tough for sure so that was 97 you said or 98?
0: it or 98 98 98 yeah yeah because because he uh played 44 games for st paul in 97 jd drew did yep and then in 98 so you missed Daryl Strawberry, right? He was 97? I was 96.
1: So Straw was 96 and then signed by the Yankees and was played in the World Series. J.D. Drew in 1997 was the second pick in the draft by the Phillies Yep. and did not want to sign because nope. the other guys in that same draft were able to become free agents and get so much more. He was his, He said, and rightfully so, I'm better than all these guys. You're telling me I'm better than all these guys, but you don't want to pay me. They get to go be free agents. Matt White was like the seventh pick in the draft. I think Patterson. Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. Right. I think uh, Patterson was five. He's from Texas. There was uh, uh, Travis Lee was. Baseman. Yeah. He three. I forget. Yeah. So anyway, um, that was all 96. And so JD goes two and 97. That's what it was. Two and 97. Right ahead of Troy Gloss and behind Matt Anderson. That's what that was. So he goes to play in St. Paul. Thinking that if he signs a professional contract, it's going to make him a free agent. He was right, but they denied it and put him back in the draft again. So here I come, nowhere near that type of situation when it comes to like challenging draft rules. I just want an opportunity to play because I've been kind of in that in limbo where I really was eligible to sign. Um, and Jeff Pfeiffer, never forget his name, in the commissioner's office said, Yeah, we understand he probably should be able to sign, but we're going to go ahead and deny it anyway. And my dad was like, Well, you got two choices here. You can go fight the commissioner's office or go to St. Paul and hit your way out of there. And I said, I'll go to St. Paul. So that's how that started. I did not go back to school to play my senior year.
0: And for the folks uh, who wonder if Jeremy hit his way out of there, I'm looking at the team roster right now, the team statistics. Do you realize that in the batting, team batting, you're listed number one in the team batting statistics on baseballreference.com? Did not know that. Well, it goes alphabetical.
1: Ah, There you go. That's why. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I, like, I think I hit, like, 230 maybe, 220, and I hit 23, 223, um, but you're right. You were the youngest guy on the team, I, I and you said the youngest in the league. I, I haven't checked that, but uh, 21 years old, you played 25 games, eight doubles, no triples, no homers. You slugged uh, 309, OPS of 600,
1: batted 223. Yeah, it was my first, like, 90 at bats or something like that, 88 at bats. And in in professional baseball, and you had guys that could sink it and cut it and dart it and do all kinds of things they knew how to do that I hadn't seen. Right. So I was really getting adjusted. I did hit the ball hard. I ate doubles. I think I was the time I left. I was first or second in the league with doubles, you know, in the first half. But went to Madison for like a week and then ended up in the Western League and finished the year.
0: Guess who the oldest? You were the youngest. So guess who the the oldest guy on that team was? It should be pretty easy, I'm guessing.
1: On the St. Paul team? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Dave Kennedy. Matt Noakes. Oh, that's right, because Noakes, he came in for me. It was like 36. Oh, so
0: you didn't play together, so that didn't oh, – We okay.
1: did. overlapped. Marty Scott was the manager, and he brought He brought Matt into DH because I, I was catching and throwing guys out. That's what I was doing. And he said, I want you to teach Jeremy how to be a professional hitter because he's got a chance to move on. Um, and Matt swung the bat and wanted to catch, so I got traded to Madison.
0: Yeah, it, it, it actually turned out to be a good trade for St. Paul. It
1: did. Because he hit
0: 120 points higher than you. He did. As, <laughs> Actually, 130. He was he hit 351 with eight homers and 50 runs driven in. And J.D. Drew, I mean, he mashed 386, nine homers, 33 runs driven in, and uh, 30 games. I'm sorry, 30 games.
1: And then he signed with the Cardinals as the fifth pick and was in the big leagues that September.
0: And you had three big leaguers in that rotation. I don't know if you were there for all of them. Tim Pugh, Dan Smith, Roy Smith.
1: Caught them all. That was our, that was our rotation to start the year. I, Dan Smith was the one. Uh, Tim Pugh was the two. Roy was actually the four in that rotation. Was I think named-
0: Roy later went on to play in the bigs because he was 22 at the time that he was in St. Paul. So. He was released
1: by Seattle and we were there together. He was a year older than me, same age as JD. JD was 22 by then. Um, and went on to sign with Cleveland I want to say, is it Cleveland or Oakland? I can't remember which, but he pitched in the bigs with Cleveland. I still still talk to Roy from time to time. He was our and, and Smitty. I talked to both those guys. Uh, Dan was our one. It was nasty. Former first rounder. Um, you know, Roy was um, our number four in that rotation. If you can believe that, he's a big leader. Who would you say Roy signed with? Cleveland? Is that what you said? He bought his contract. Uh,
0: and you are correct. He came from Seattle out of high school. Signed with Seattle out of Seattle out of high school, and then pitched uh, actually two seasons in St. Paul.
1: He did. He was ninety eight and then ninety nine, and then yeah, he out after that. Well, who knew this was going to turn into a Northern League podcast? <laughs> it's a trip down memory lane. You know, I had a lot of good teammates and a lot of it was an interesting road how I got started. Um, you know, had I had I gone into rookie ball, I wonder what would have happened there instead of facing guys that could pitch in Double A AA and Triple A. Um, they knew what they were doing and figured it out that way, you know, an in independent baseball, you had to win. Those guys were trying to win and development. I you could develop while you did it. That's great. Um, but I was, you know, I could catch and throw and I had a lot of strength and I learned how to hit at that level. And, you know, St. Paul had to win. So they didn't have that type of time and ended up moving around and um, you know, is what is what it is. It was the start of a, a very long and journey that was a lot of fun. All right. So, Opening day. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. Opening day
0: is Thursday. The Astros are in Oakland. You know, Jeremy, I've been thinking about this My three biggest concerns for the Astros or three biggest question marks. I'm going to hit you with the three and give me your, give me your opinion on each one of them. After I give you the first, I'll do them in order. How's that? First one for me is starting rotation. When you consider Verlander's out, Fromber's out, you don't know what you're getting with Lance McCullers, and you've got a bunch of guys in the back end of that rotation.
1: You're going to have to really kind of wish and hope and try to trick some people here with these guys until they settle in. You know, even without Valdez, you're going to need the kids from last year who had a, a year to grow up under some scrutiny and also did well the year before in the cameo at the end, or Akiti's, guys like that. You need those guys to show up and, and really fill in holes wherever they can. It's going to be by committee for a little bit. Um, you know, obviously Dusty had a name a rotation. McCutworth is going to get the ball. Or Izzy will get the ball. Greg, will get the ball. Um, but on any given night, you know, it could be running down to the bullpen here pretty fast, and they're going to need to be able to – pitches as, as they used to say, Johnny Holstaff to get this done through the rotationist. And it's not a, a knock on anybody. When I say it, it's really just where they are. Some of these guys in their careers and, and where um, you know, how they're going to find the best fit to be effective through 162 games.
0: So the Astros rotation is Granky to start Christian Javier will start game two. Lance McCullers will be the third starter. Jose or will be fourth. And then uh, on Wednesday, Dusty said Luis Garcia will be the number five starter. But who knows how long that's going to last because of the quirky scheduling at the beginning of the season. So, you know, we could see a different guy later on, but that's where he's going to go at least to start the season.
1: Well, I don't see I don't see much of a possibility. He finishes with that rotation. You know, that's something that he's going to start with. Um, Just as he said, just as you said. We'll see how it goes a couple times through the rotation where guys are at, and then we'll start making adjustments. You have to figure Odorizzi is going to factor in here somewhere. You have to know that Valdez seems to be healing much different, much faster than they ever thought when it happened, is going to come back and take a spot when he's ready. That's probably still not, you know, it's not imminent. That's going to be a little bit till he gets himself back into shape to go do it. Um, That that said, those guys that are getting this kind of baptism by fire, if you will, in this rotation to start the year – with fans, with some of the things that we have seen that um, this club has had to endure a little bit even in spring training that still carries over from the cheating scandal. They're going to have to get out there and compete. Uh, They're going to have to learn and, and the Astros are going to need them. So getting these innings right now, even if they shift their roles later, it's just beneficial to the club over the course of the year. And my second
0: area of concern or question mark, will we see Jose Altuve return to being the old Jose Altuve?
1: Uh, which, old, which old Jose Altuve? Are we talking about 2020 old Ho- Jose Altuve? No, no,
0: no, no, no. The Come one up. prior to 2020, yeah. not the one that we saw in 2020. That you would know, be the newer Jose Altuve. I want the older one, not old. saying the MVP candidate, but somewhere in between.
1: We're going to have to see how he responds to fans. um, Being back in the stands with this stuff. And and, I, and I'm saying that specifically for him because after the cheating scandal came out, after he was in, at the front of the microphone apologizing, we saw a different player throughout the year. We saw a player that, for the first time I can remember since a knoblocker blocker Steve Sachs, when a ground ball was hit in his direction, somebody who's usually sure-handed and can execute, um, you're talking about a guy who everybody held their breath. Matter of fact, the scouting report on this guy was to be able to... Um, the scouting report on this guy was to put pressure on him anytime the ball was hit his direction, and you know Jose is going to need that to trans to, to be comfortable at the plate. You know we saw it carry over in some of his at bats. At the time, we didn't really know what was going on. Obviously, something was up. We were really exposed in the postseason, but if he can play defense, if his head is clear, then you'll see the Jose Altuve of old. If his head is is not. Is off center, if he's got some, some concerns about what's, what's happening with the fans, if he doesn't trust himself defensively, then it's naturally going to transition to offense. And um, you might see more of a 2020 Altuve.
0: I want to pull back the curtain a little bit because Jose Altuve was one of the players which were available for interviews on Wednesday. And someone asked Jose in Spanish about Carlos Correa, what he means to the team and what would happen if he left because of the contract situation. And he answered the question in Spanish. And then a friend of mine, Brandon Scott, friend of ours, who's on sports radio 610, said, I'm sorry, uh, Jose. I don't know if I I think this may have just been asked to you uh, to you in Spanish, but I was wondering how you feel about Carlos Correa. And he said, he said, yes, I was just, this was Jose said what Jose said. Yes. I was just asked that in Spanish, but I will be happy to answer it t- for you in English. Like that just shows you what kind of guy he is. Right. I'll be, ha- I would be happy to answer, a- answer that question in English. I mean,
1: he's, he's a good guy and his ability he's earned everything he's got, you know, it, it's um, he's a guy that you want to root for. He's a guy you like, you know, you just, you want him to do well. And it's unfortunate this stuff is still going to carry over a little bit behind him, but he's going to have to put it behind him and, and, uh, and, and adjust. And if he does, if he can clear his head and just play baseball and not worry about the things around him that he can't control, which are the fans booing him. I mean, there was even a situation, and I think Bregman was hitting, where a security guard or um, a security attendant was banging a trash can, you know? And, and look, I've been hard on those guys from the beginning about it, but there's no place for that. There just really isn't, you know, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, that, you know, that said, Jose's got to distance himself from that. And if he does, it'll be just fine.
0: You know, it's funny. We talk about the hatred for these Astros and, you know, the, 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 the anger that these players receive on Twitter and Instagram. It's interesting though, the players association, I think released its top selling jerseys uh, from, I don't know what, maybe the past month or the past couple of months. And right in the top 20, I think Jose Altuve was number 19. So clearly he still has a very large fan base regardless or um, irregardless, regardless of everything that happened uh, before. So
1: he's a good player. He's a good person. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's just, it's an unfortunate situation that he found himself in whether he did it or not. Um, You know, he had to step up because it is his team and he was able to, it affected him all year. He handled the situation, but it affected him. So he's just going to have to distance himself from all those distractions and just play baseball. And finally, at number three, my
0: third area of concern or big question mark, is Jordan Alvarez for real? Because when you consider that there is no more George Springer yeah. and Yuli Gurriel is um, – I don't know if we're starting to see the signs of his age because – wasn't good in wasn't good in the postseason and towards the end of last year and I'm not I don't think his spring stats were that great so Jordan Alvarez is going to have to be the, the the monster masher that we think he is I think to make up for a lot of that offense that is missing via Springer and Gurriel
1: you know Alvarez can hit the question with Jordan Alvarez is, is he going to be healthy and and if he's healthy he's going to hit. Um, you know, I think back to when he, before he came up, you know, it was a couple of years ago now, it was 19 before he came up. Right. And we said, you know, this, the report I got from a, a scouting connection, right. I'm not saying he's David Ortiz, but he might be like, I'll never forget that. And that resonated throughout baseball, ironically, because we saw Peter Gammons put that out there. We saw the all of a sudden, this is now, you know, the line and, and it's a great line, but it's not something that was said for a flash in the pan comparisons like that. And I have a scout on my staff or VP player personnel that signed David Ortiz. Like the guy that actually signed David Ortiz works for the future star series now. So I put those two together. It's pretty close. And the numbers that he has and the way he goes about his business, this guy can hit, he's going to hit if he's not healthy. Well, then yeah, that's going to change some things, but if he's healthy, he's going to step in the middle of the lineup and do what he does and do your damn things. And everybody's going to be real happy about it.
0: Guriel, by the way, thirty-nine at bats. I know it's spring training. One seventy-nine, one homer, four runs driven in, an OPS of six-two-seven. So it's,
1: it's trending the wrong direction with Yuli. I mean, he's here. This is his contract that he had. The four-year deal was up after twenty, right? Got it. Got a one-year or two-year? I forget now. Yeah, this, this is an extension of that, if you will, or yeah, a new deal he's on. Um, it's it's going the wrong direction. You know what's interesting, and I'll throw this out there now. Is uh, something I've been, you know, thinking about. Is if Gurriel doesn't get off to a good to a good start, or at least for a good couple of months, and Alvarez is healthy, you may see Alvarez find his way to first base, and Josh Reddick make a return here.
0: Really, I, I can't imagine them. You'd think that you would think that first base would be a natural fit for Jordan, but it just seems like they are so against putting him there.
1: Yeah. If he's healthy, maybe he goes and plays the outfield and you find the H at bats other places. I mean, I, I'm just throwing stuff out there. The reason to keep Yuli Guriel, if he's playing short, if, if he's if he's catching the ball, he's got something to do while he's you know not swinging the bat, right? But he's not doing it. he's playing first base. And as good as his defense is over there, and it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. You need to have somebody who's offensively inclined, and you can't have Uh, somebody who's becoming an out. Now, if he's defending himself and he's hitting 260, you know, he hits, you know, 12, 15 home runs, gives you, you That's usable, right? Plus defense, you know, clutch hitting situations. And uh, he does that. Then you're living with it because of what he gives you in the clubhouse and what he gives you at first base. But if it's not that, anything below that becomes below replacement level and you're looking for something you can plug in there. Now, I'm not saying Reddick's the answer. I'm just saying Reddick's available. And he's, last I saw, still in the area right? So if he's here, you can sign him on a minor league contract and send him to Corpus. Let him get his at-bats and work his way up. And if it doesn't work out fine, but I don't know why they wouldn't do that a month later if things aren't working out with uh, what they have on the roster now. Hey, Bernie. Yeah, he's here. He's up. He's wrong. Uh,
0: and, and Redick would be, I imagine pretty cheap though. I'm guessing league minimum for a veteran type thing.
1: Well, sure. I mean, Josh has made his money nobody's knocking on the door. He's probably want a little bit more than that if he gets to the big leagues, but you know, it's uh it's something that just would not surprise me because he's available and in town.
0: Uh, Gurriel, uh, one year contract with the club option. So that's why I had two in my head. Cool. Um, we'll see. Uh, running out of time here, but I do want to ask you, we can either do one of two things. We can go over a scouting report or we can talk about the Ted Williams book of hitting, which you tweeted out.
1: Um, I'll let you pick
0: um let's see i'll do i'll do this i'll do the ted williams book because you it's fairly fresh on the twitter feed okay all right you mentioned on twitter that this book is i guess one of your favorites
1: i've I've had two of them actually and
0: i'm trying to pull up the exact tweet something that it's ah here it is this book is discussed a lot today, as it should be. It's also the most contradicted and misunderstood. It's dangerous if you don't understand it. Some act as if the concept are new and it's like golf. It says 1970, not like golf and more right here. Read and understand. Can you give me the Cliff's Notes version of what you mean by all that?
1: Yeah, we, we have, um, as we all know, entered an era of, um, of power first, and sometimes power only, right? Um, a lot of people have pointed to Ted Williams science of hitting as somebody who's largely regarded as, if not the best, certainly one of the best hitters in, ever to play the game as the Bible of how they should approach. And they focus on still pictures where his foot's open a little bit and they say his bat's behind them a little bit and they focus on different, um, and, and, and they try to re- reinvent it today as if these are brand new concepts, right? Let me say this again. And I've said this a couple of times. 1970 is 50 years ago. Williams played in the 40s and 50s, right? 40s and 50s and wrote the book in 1970. So 50 years ago, this was published. It's probably written at least a year or two before that um, to get to publishing. And then you have 30 years prior where the guy played the game. It's not new information. It's not new. This isn't a new concept. People who are, who are evaluating or teaching this in development didn't invent it. Furthermore, they didn't bring it to the forefront. This has been passed down from player to player to player. I found this book for the first time at 19 years old in a Southern California car wash, and I was like, "What's that? Let me go get that." And I dog eared it and highlighted it, and I, I just, it was like a Bible for me. And I destroyed it was so dog eared and taken care of and worn through that to buy another copy, which is the one I took a picture of and put it on. But I don't need to dog ear it now, right? Because I'm not playing anymore. So that's what I have now. People contradict it, you know. They say, "Well, you know, golf swing. It's like the golf swing." It's not like the golf swing, and in the book they're quoting as the Bible, the guy says, or the baseball hitting Bible. It's not golf. It's not even close to golf. We're taking these concepts and we're ruining hitters today, which is why we have to do things like uh, put, you know, create rules to put action back in the game. It's why half the runs in baseball are scored in the home run now. It's not because pitching is better or worse. Because yeah, evolution happens and guys get a little bigger, faster, stronger, but that takes three or four decades to achieve, not eight years. You know it's, it's, it's this, this book that we're using that is an exceptional resource is just being twisted around and hitters are getting ruined because of it. So I want to put that out there and remind people, Hey, you know what? Like let's pay attention to what this really says instead of cherry picking pieces that, that fit what you're trying to sell. And it's at underscore Jeremy
0: booth. If you want to look at that on Twitter, but you know what? Everybody who's listening to this, they know Jeremy's Twitter <laughs> handle anyways. Yeah. <so. laughs>
1: I don't know. I had a couple of people pop up. I think that, uh, are paying attention. It's, it's, um, aren't following me on Twitter. So yeah.
0: Anyways, hit like, subscribe, tell your friends, share with your neighbors, let us know what you want us to talk about. And, um, you know what on sports extra Sunday night, we'll do our division, our Astros predictions. So, um, what I'll do is then I'll upload that also to the podcasts.
1: Now there's a rumor going around. I get to wear a suit again next week.
0: I don't know about that. We'll see. It's not up to me. Still a rumor. It's up to the uh, health and protocol czars. So, all right. That's another episode of Extra Bases with Bristol and Booth. For Jeremy, I'm Jason. Till next time, thanks for listening.